Well, thank you so much, Jaseel, for joining me today. Super excited to, to dive deep into a bunch of topics. Uh, I know we both like. Before, before we kind of get into Unreasonable and before we get into sort of your role in, in startups in, in Africa, in, in Europe, and impact investing, talk about your, your journey, man, because you had such a, you, you spent some time in some cool universities, some cool startups, some cool nonprofits. You just had a really interesting journey. So I guess start wherever you want. There's a, there's a ton to unpack that, Grant. Um, <laughs> for having me today. I probably haven't even told this story really publicly um, in a while, but I think uh, to understand, like you mentioned, I've done a, a bunch of things. I've worked at nonprofits, I've worked at volunteered around the world, I've, I've worked startups, I've worked in corporate, but I think for me, the conversation really started, um, this was this, I, I'm born and raised in Ghana, just for context to your listeners. So born and raised in Ghana, about 18 years old, I decided I wanted to move to the States to study criminal justice and forensic psychology. Um, and that was kind of like always the plan. As part of that program, I went to Rome for a semester and I came across this book called um, by David Bornstein uh, called How to Change the World. And that just reading the book kind of struck me because I realized that uh, coming from Ghana moving to the States had been a huge culture shock. One of the things that was like really telling for me was the fact I knew some really amazing people um, who looked like who came from where I came from, um, who couldn't get access to, to bring from their, their best ideas to life just because they have access to capital. Um, and that book was the first time I saw someone mention an industry that was focused on getting those people's ideas out there because those, the, the ideas are solving real problems. And that for me began almost like a quest to understand where exactly I fit in this space. So right after I read that book, I interned at, at a black owned cost agency in the States focus on nonprofit work called Frontline Solutions. A really great set of people there. But as part of my trying to figure out where I wanted to do, because I, I did come to college to be a criminal profiler originally. So I didn't very much <laughs> a pivot from the plan. Um, so in that in that conflict looking through I, I applied to NYU really because one of my oldest friends was applying and he was like, hey listen, I'm going to this fair and you need to come because I'm not going alone. And I was like, okay, fine, I will go. But I had no plans to go to NYU. And um, one of the admi admissions officers who's left now, Sandra, kind of called me up and said, hey, let me talk to you about this idea you have at NYU. I'm like, yeah, sure, whatever, let's go. And he told me about how they're working on a program that is looking to come combine people who care about um, solving the world's biggest problems um, by looking at business solutions in a way that business schools are not equipped to look at. And I was like, okay, that sounds interesting. Yeah, but nice. at the time, it wasn't really a fully fleshed idea. But on a whim, I told her, hey, listen, I'll apply and we'll see what happens. So I applied, I got a scholarship. And then right when I got in, um, NYU launched the yeah, social um, impact investment and innovation concentration within the uh, MPA program that's a master of public administration. And uh, Scott Tatel, who I've for a longer time worked for the Clinton Justra um, initiative doing impact investments around the world, had kind of had lit upon this idea that to really train um, the future change makers, we had to go from just being straight business school people to thinking through how do we combine policy with business, with legal frameworks, really incubates innovation. And so that's kind of where um, the my journey starts. I, that, I got offered to join the program and I took it because I was like, yeah, this is exactly what I want to be in this space where people are thinking through innovation and impact. And I knew I didn't want to go to business school because what I really cared about was the people, not the financial aspect of it. Like I, I knew money was a great way to communicate to people how impact could look like. But for me, it was always just a vehicle. I think NYU's program really understood that. Yeah, no, man, it's it's, it's amazing. I think it's, it's always interesting, whether it's a, a book or a documentary that could kind of send us 
really in a different direction that we, we didn't think we were going to go in, right? So after sort of maybe reading that book and, and digesting it a little bit and then kind of looking at, you know, you said you were going for criminal justice, right? Which is quite different than, than sort of what you're doing now. When, when did you really kind of make that decision to kind of make that shift in sort of the vision of what you wanted to do with your life? Absolutely. And I'd I love to say that that was a big shift, but, um, and I wrote about it a bit on my, on my Twitter. I think it was, it was more a conglomerate, a conglomeration of smaller, smaller things that kind of came together. I think the very mm-hmm. first, in, um, the very first deliver was reading the book and then getting to NYU and at NYU, Scott Tatel again, had the brilliant idea to launch NYU's first, um, impact investment fund that was managed by students, both in the oh, business nice. and public in the public policy school. And that was right when the program started. So I was part of the initial managers of and that's in that NYU Impact Investment Funds. And actually one of the companies that we did and sell ads um, is an unreasonable company. It's not for me it was the first time I heard about a company thinking through how to support entrepreneurs that have some of the world's biggest problems. So we kind of did and sell ads. Um, eventually went we, we invested in a few other companies um, beyond sell ads. But that for me was the first conversation that got me thinking. And then me and Scott were having a conversation, rethinking really through, okay, so how do I really figure out what is my position in this space? Because I think that the beautiful thing about supporting entrepreneurs is that it reaches an ecosystem and so different players and different actors can play in different areas and different zones to be able to really drive impact to the to the companies that, that we care about. And so in that conversation with Scott Tatel, um, I decided that it would be a good idea to to get some strong capital um, market skills. Uh, as I took an internship with Goldman Sachs in New York, which, which went great, which kind of made me realize that there are a few things that I really wanted to understand if I was going to really drive value to entrepreneurs down the line. And that became like another small decision to get me to this point. I worked in London for a couple of years as an investment banker, really focusing on, on, on some of your larger, most larger public companies. I'm really understanding what it takes to really, what the capital markets really behave so I can understand what it takes to invest in a business, build into a business. But for me, the goal was always coming back to support um, entrepreneurs. So even at Goldman Sachs, for two years uh, I was there, I, I put together a team uh, that uh, pitched at Goldman's Analyst Impact uh, Fund competition, uh, trying to really get some some impact money towards um, companies outside of our normal jurisdiction. For me, that impact lens was always in focus. I don't think I made a big shift. I think we made a few small um, turns and as I continue to refine what, it, what kind of value I could bring to this place, I made new source that, and that brought me to Unreasonable, but I'm sure we'll dive into that a bit. Yeah, I'm a big fan of, of Unreasonable. Anybody that listens to this pod, I've had a, a few a few guests from Unreasonable on, and I just think they would do a great job of looking at impact investing through the lens of markets, impact, sort of this divergence of everything we see going on now, how we solve these big issues through through business models, through empowering founders from different parts of the world on different issues. How do you look at you personally, really, like, how do you look at impact investing? You know, I know it's a big term now, right? Kind of, it's it's spewed everywhere. Everybody says it and all these different things, right? But everybody will have different definitions of what it means to them. But when you look at impact investing, you try to define it. Like, how would you define it? And how would you sort of explain it? That's a great question. It's a question that I think about often because I, my parents often ask me, so what exactly do you do for work? What <laughs> so I really had to rethink about um, what impact. I think you mentioned it right. Um, there's a ton of definitions out there. And a lot of times the, the comments you can be, it's so convoluted. No one really knows what it means. But for me, I really see 
that as the mark of innovation. I think we'll continue to figure out um, what a customer looks like in different startups in the world just broadly. And in fact, investors is no different. However, the personal division that I use when I'm looking at companies, I'm uh, in, in fact investing, I'm looking at opportunities that are solving a real problem for a large group of people in a way in ways that can be measured um, both on the financial and non-financial impact of that company. So that additionality. So I'm also thinking about how much what difference can me as an investor, can a reasonable as an organization add to this company, this venture to expand the impact further and faster? So impact investing for me is a, is a, is a two-way street. One, I, I definitely want a company that is impacting people's lives in a way that they're they are actively thinking about how they're measuring that impact how they communicate that impact. But on the other side of it as well, I believe it, it's an additionality conversation for how much value can I, as an investor, I, as a partner, drive to these solutions to expand that impact further and faster. So, so I think that that push and pull, that almost a delicate dance that we get to do as as investors and impactful companies is how I define it um, as well. But I also I often tell people that we spend so much time focused on definitions and sometimes you just need to see people um, try different things and, and, and try different ways. I think impact investing is one place where people are doing so many cool things, things that are not even in my wheelhouse. People are thinking these things like social impact bonds and green bonds and what it means right. to link um, financing to different initiatives. So there's so many people thinking through smart opportunities to support venture. I think my, our, our way to um, adding portfolio support and um, getting access to capital is just one way in which we can look at this almost kind of scope lens of what impact investing is. And your time now is really spent looking at, you know, the European markets and Africa and the Middle East. Like what what are the cool, let's start with Europe here. Because since since I've, I've been here now for almost two years, there's so many mm-hmm. interesting startups coming out of Europe solving different, different issues like just let's look at europe for a second like what are you seeing right now what are you seeing be, being built and what problems are, are you seeing being solved from from european founders at the moment what's getting you excited here absolutely i love it. i think i think the two things that get me excited and i talk about it all the time i think underrepresented founders founders who traditionally don't get investment like women like people mm-hmm. of color lgbtq plus people i think those communities of people are solving problems for people who traditionally tech investments do not get to look at and i think in Europe, a few people I'm quite excited about and what how they're thinking about things. Uh, Bloom Money, I'm over in the UK thinking through how to use how to retain immigrant wealth in in in, mm-hmm. in, in community in, mm-hmm. in the UK. A lot of fintechs look at remittances. I think it's a, a valuable piece. Um, mm-hmm. someone as someone born and raised and I understand the value of remittances, but a place like Bloom Money, I love the work they're doing around thinking through beyond remittances, how do we actually build generational wealth within our communities? I think that that specification of communities I'm super excited about. Another, another startup I'm quite excited about are uh, those that are in the, in the broader diversity space. I think that there's so much that we can do there. There's so much that is formed there. And even in the VC space, I think in latest reports, uh, Black people and people of color um, getting single digits um, investments uh, in Europe. And I think that's an area where I see a lot of opportunity to to be disruptive there. And there's some quite some really cool companies that are thinking through how to do that. I know Career Masterclass in the UK is really thinking through how to support people of color um across the the their career life cycle, which I think is a really interesting place to be. Um I think applied is thinking through how to be bias hiring and really generate uh, a more representative sample of people getting um getting employment applies on a reasonable portfolio company as well. I think that's super interesting. So on the one hand, I really love the guy push towards under I think there's a lot of value that has not been unlocked there. I think the numbers bear me out. 
I think with only 2% of, of funding going to women, we're clearly not funding 98% of people. And if venture capital is supposed to um, instigate um, and encourage innovation, then we're missing a huge part of potential innovation. I'm quite excited about that. I think there's a lot of opportunity there. And the second thing I'm excited about is climate broadly. I think that um, it's, it's, it's not an arguable fact anymore that we have passed flexing point uh, yeah. for um, fixing the issues that are wrong with our climate. But I think how we fix it, um, I think there's only a lot of people's issues are they want a, a one-size-fits-all solution. And I think that we didn't get to where we are today doing one thing only. We did a few different things. So I think there's so much space to, to disrupt the climate place. I know a lot of people are quite excited about decarbonization and carbon removal technology. I think there's a lot of opportunity there. Um, yep. It's not really, but one thing, Things I'm quite excited about is waste management. I know it's a bit random, but waste yeah. management, just to give you some context, is like a $2.1 trillion industry that's mostly offline. Most of your recyclables in America, the latest numbers were 96, 95% of plastic don't get recycled in, the, in, in Europe. We're trending towards like 90, 85% thereabouts. So there's a ton of plastic that does not get recycled and no one really knows why. No one knew where to go because there's no data on waste management. And I think there's an opportunity one to, to, to solve our biggest problem, I think, especially now that China since 2017 has, has stopped accepting um, exports of, of waste. I have, there's so much more confusion around where are we putting our waste streams. Companies that are, are thinking throughout to disrupt waste management are super excited. And one such company um, is Great Power. Uh, they're a UK-based woman-owned, a woman-led company that are rethinking really through um, using AI and machine learning, uh, how to digitize waste streams. And they've done some, they've made some really great progress. Um, they're doing some really great work. They're one of the portfolio companies. I'm quite excited about the work they're doing there. I think there's a few different, so those are kind of the, the, the larger, the broader things that I'm excited about in Europe broadly. You, you mentioned, you know, the 2% that could have sort of women, women founders and, and uh, citizens of color. Like when you see like startups, like, you know, whether it's applying to a reasonable or, or just whatever that, that they're are looking to get capital. Is the number so low? I guess, why would the number, the number so low? Is it the amount of applicants, they're just not applying? Or is it, or is it because the people that capital allocators don't come from, you know, that background, right? So they don't have that just alignment in general. Like, I guess, why, why do you think the numbers are so low there? Absolutely, that's a great question. I think, I think the, candid, the, the, the candid answer is not a lack of opportunity. I don't think mm-hmm. it's because only percent of women and people of color are, are building interesting companies. Um, I think it's a conversation around where funders are, uh, fund owners and capital um, owners yep. are looking to, to source their, their, their capital. I'll give a good example. Reasonable um, accelerator program It's not an education program. Um, and so our venture selection team scours the earth um, to recruit companies. However, we have very explicit diversity metrics that we have to meet, not because it's a nice to have, but because we believe that if we're going to actually support the most innovative companies, we have to have the most representative sample of, of, of companies in our portfolio. And so for us, it's not a conversation. We, we've managed it. Of course, we've managed ourselves. To meet these measures, you can check it. We keep it quite broad. We keep it quite um, public. We meet those metrics in our accelerator program. In our recently launched pledge funding collective, on one annual report just came out, and we are some way above 65% of our investments in women or, or people of color, which is way better in the industry. Again, not because we do anything differently, but because our sourcing pipeline is sure. inherently um, looking yeah. at getting access to these kind of, um, to more a more diverse pool of companies. I think that the truth of the matter is, um, Grant, uh, it's not a matter of access. I think that is, and I think so many people to recognize that now. Um, I think that a lot of people see that it's not because there's no opportunities there. It's a matter of like, how comfortable are you for, to, 
to do things differently, to look mm-hmm. in different places, to have different conversations, to be in different rooms. Um, and, and that's kind of something that we're not afraid of because one of the things that we really believe in um, is supporting the entrepreneurial journey and really thinking through how do we leverage capital and support to expand impact further and faster. So with that as our North Star and, and looking to really democratize um, the, the technology and innovation space generally, um, we find it it's not impossible to find these guys. If anything, um, these guys right. are criminally underfunded. And mm-hmm. if, capital, if capital owners really wanted to get access to them, they absolutely could. Let's move on to Africa because to me, I've seen so many interesting startups come out of Africa, especially in, it seems like the fintech space is just really powerful there. And I, I know it's, there's just so many different dynamics because there's so many different countries in Africa and there's different cultures. Right? There's, there's going to be differences in, in, in issues and problems to solve in, in each country, really. But overall, when you when you look at Africa as you know a haven for for amazing founders and, and startups right now, like. What are you seeing coming out of there that's super interesting and exciting? I think that, I think there's a lot that's going on in this space that, that is quite exciting. I think, first of all, there is a lot of energy in this space, especially now more than ever. Um, on the back of the pandemic, that's really forced us to rethink through how, how to expand our, our boundaries beyond just physical touch and think about to have more cross-border conversations. Uh, I think there's a lot of in- exciting energy. It's one reason I took this world and reason why I moved to be based in our car and really be next to the kind of innovation happening on the continent. Uh, I think when I think broadly, things I'm quite excited about on the continent, they fall broadly into four buckets. I think food, well, three buckets broadly, food and agriculture, climate broadly, and fintech and, and financial inclusion. I think those three things I'm quite excited about for a few different reasons. I think with food and agriculture, uh, man, listen, I think it's a fact that we our population is growing. There's so many ways in which we have to be thinking about um, feeding our population. On the other, on the flip side, in Africa, it's about 64, 65% of, of the economy is supported by, by, by agricultural activities. In the mm. same vein, the UN estimates that in 2025, there'd be hundreds of millions of people still going malnourished or hungry in Africa. So that wow. tells me that there's, that there's a supply and a demand mm-hmm. issue. I think mm-hmm. some, in the middle there, there's so super smart people thinking through how to solve our our agriculture um, effectiveness problem, how to solve our agriculture access problem, how to solve our feeding the continent problem. And I think that as the world continues to grow and looks like population is just going to keep increasing, eventually that we're going to have to feed the world of tomorrow. I think Africa is one of the places where we can really do because we are more predominant in agricultural economy. Um, and with technologies in, in penetration now, there's the opportunity to expand this. I'm quite excited about that. I think also my side about climate, I think Africa, like most of the world, um, has been really on the on the fossil fuel journey. So, you know, getting oil and the kind of access and capital that brings in, and there's, there's no denying how much capital access that brings. But looking, looking reading the tea leaves will, will tell you that, listen, in, in, a few, in a few decades from now, Fossil fuels, our fossil fuels are going to get start to getting phased out, or at least be unfavorable. And so, what different ways are we thinking about about energy sources? And people are doing some really interesting stuff in, in that space as well. I think even broadly as energy access, getting um, people off grid access to to grid electricity, a lot of interesting work being done there as well. Um, and 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 broadly in the climate space as well, even just in the waste management space, a really interesting company down in in Kenya called Sanergy that is using waste. Um, to and produce to produce some value add products, I think is really smart and really interesting. So in the food and plants, I see a lot of value, and of course, I think it goes without saying the financial inclusion and fintech. So there's a lot of really interesting opportunities. But I think what I quite 
what I'm quite excited about in the fintech space for me is the wedge that is the wedge into problem into customers problem that I'm quite excited about. Before this call, I was on the call with one of my partners here talking to a startup, startup that is on our radar early stages. And one of the conversations we're having was what kind of problems are they solve? What kind of wedge are, are, they, are they going? But I think that is where a lot of um, a lot of exciting stuff exists. So Capita over in Egypt is doing some really interesting work around FMCG, um, manufacturing supply chain and inventory finance is really smart. Field intelligence also doing some really cool work on inventory finance. This insurtech is really growing. It's really, it's really taking hold in like East Africa. So I think for me, financial inclusion, I'm really quite excited about is one of the inclusion piece. Are we really targeting people who are traditionally on bank? I think that's a, a large yeah. um, area that still has a lot of opportunities in there. Um, and the other part of that I'm quite excited about is how do we leverage fintech on top of real problems that people have, whether it's access to their salary on time, whether mm-hmm. it's asset financial literacy, whether it's access to inventory finance. And I think there's a lot of people are doing thinking through those issues and, and, and coming up with some really cool ideas on the, on the continent that I'm quite excited about. Kazna in Egypt is a really cool one that I'm quite excited about as well. So there's a lot of people doing some really interesting stuff. I'm on the console. I think those three areas broadly are the areas that I'm, I'm looking at for the next five years or so. We touched on a, a bunch of different cool startups that you had mentioned in the unreasonable portfolio that, that you see sort of hands-on. Do you want to mention any more that come top of mind that are doing some really interesting stuff? Absolutely. absolutely. I mean, if we're limiting ourselves to Europe, we have a really interesting company in the UK called Airx. That is thinking through um, how, how to really fix some of the issues we have um, with, with um, heating and access to um, energy in buildings. I think they do some really interesting work there. Um, I think EntoCycle, um, K-Run is doing some really interesting work around how to uh, use um, insect uh, larvae to uh, produce nutritious food uh, meals. I think it'll be interesting. I know like Innova Feed in, in France has got, got a really huge funding in the sector as well in Paris. There's a lot of space in that, in that, in that like insect protein space. I think insect is yep. really cool stuff there. They are one of our portfolio companies as well. On the African continent, in a reasonable portfolio, I think companies like Kuza in, in Nairobi are, are thinking through some really interesting solutions around uh, supporting agripreneurs. Um, I think Isoko which is which is a Ghana-based um, startup on the Reno portfolio that, that originally started out as an analytics company for farmers. Um, it was really expanded to really be one of the last mile delivery um, hmm. logistics companies in, in, in the content game, getting access to and, and bringing a lot of, of people on access to digital um, infrastructure, which I think is really interesting. Uh, and a reasonable company that is based in America, but I think is quite exciting, is BankU. Uh, they're really thinking about how to use blockchain, uh, non-crypto, non-crypto blockchain uh, huh. to get to, yes, which, I think is, which I think is amazing. Yeah, uh, it's interesting. blockchain to give access to to come understand who are the, 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 the last mile stakeholders uh, within supply chains and how do we kind of like track the impact that the work that they do contributes like these larger uh, chains like with the FMCGs like Coca-Cola and Pepsi and Nestle um, are, are resourcing from. I have to make sure that that whole chain um, is one, is transparent, but also those um, very, very critical parts of, of, of the supply chain are getting access to, to, to individual infrastructure to help scale up the, the uh, capital opportunities and get access to even more increased incomes and more opportunities that they would have access to if they have if there's no existence of a digital infrastructure. So I think Bank U is really, really interesting. I think, and broadly, I think um, on Reasonable Collective, we've made about eight investments so far. We've had some really cool companies come through that. There's some really interesting stuff. Air Protein America is one of them, black woman owned company. I think um, innovating in the alternative protein space. 
Uh, they did something interesting where we, we've invested in them and we're quite excited about the, the work they're doing. I think it's all mine. Those are the names that come up for me that, that we're, we're quite excited about. But also our portfolio <laughs> is about 300 amazing companies spanning yeah. APAC, um, Americas, um, EMEA, uh, UK. So we, we have some really awesome companies to show that we're, we're excited. And every year we, we get to bring on more and support more new more companies that are diverse, that are impactful, that are innovative, and that we're very excited about. I want to ask you a, a quick question about Ghana, you know, since you're, Absolutely. you know, born there, from there, like, what's happening there? Are you able to kind of take your experience and help out startups there, founders there, kind of navigate that whole world of whether it's, you know, fundraising or even just putting decks together, right? Just understanding the roadmap it takes to, to build a company, to build a a startup that is investable. I think one of the very first things that I noticed when I got here is that there's a lot of companies that are coming across my radar, but we're too early for us at the yeah. team at Unreasonable. Um, right. And so one of the things I've actually been doing is uh, together with with the, with the business partner and old schoolmates, I've been working with a few startups in the space, get, helping them think through how to get access to capital, um, both locally and but also I think that to build on their business. I've done a lot of venture building work on the concept, like in, in Accra. I think that there, there's a lot of innovation happening here on the concept. I don't know if you just saw um, YC's uh, most recent class. Um, a startup out of Ghana called Tendo was probably at the, that class. There's a lot of exciting stuff going on Great. here. But I think the difference in Accra from a Lagos and South Africa from a Cairo is that we're still in the beginnings of, of having a formalized hub. Of, of like of like innovation where you can you can have act you can know who's building what and who's working on what. That's one of the things I'm actually kind of working on is how do we really think through how to kind of like bring people together and formalize and formalize our relationship. So I've been I started to get into the angel investment space a bit more. Um, together with uh, joining the Future Africa Collective, so you need how do how do we get access and, and provide support and capital to early stage founders on the continent? And I found one of the things that in in Accra I'm working on personally as well is beyond just getting access capital, rethinking really through how do we expand the ecosystem? How do we connect people that are thinking about innovation, working on innovation in different ways? How do we support each other? Do you see the same issues as you mentioned that 2% earlier around sort of like women? Do you see the same issue in, in Africa at all where women don't get yeah, as much sure. as men? For sure. We, we definitely have a we definitely have a gender um, diversity issue. I mean, it's one of the things that I think I'm... I'm quite focused as why I my angel investment thesis primarily focused um on at least fifty percent uh investment in women led companies. I think that that's definitely the truth of matter that we we have a diverse issue. I think it's um something that we should definitely be working on. But it's one of the things and I think this it cuts across every region. It's one of the things where we have to intentionally work on it. We have to intentionally make space, we have to intentionally decide that if I'm gonna have a, let's say a startup event, I'm going to try to get access to 50% women, 50% men. I think those kind of mm. mandatory metrics encourage you to, to innovate around your pipeline and, 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 and maybe go the extra mile, not go for the, the lowest hanging fruit. To really kind of fix our gender disparities issue. We do have a broad gender disparity issue. I was just at a investor hang uh, meetup and I was having a conversation with one of, one of the, the, the women I met there and, and we're, we're commiserating on the fact that in the, in the room that we're in, was maybe 10, 15, 20% women and all men. Um, and, and we're talking about how that is what often happens in these, in these rooms that you go into. Um, not because there's not, not because there's, there's not great, um, women working in the space, but predominantly because like the, the, the access to information of who's working on what is not very formalized. And so it ends mm. up being very, um, insular. 
um, and, and, and still very focused on who has access to, which is normally trends to be um, male-dominated spaces. But I think a lot of people are thinking to intentionally how to break that and how to work um, on that broadly in the continent. And, and like any other place, I think it's going to take concerted effort of, of, of both investors and uh, ecosystem players like accelerators and incubators really focusing on fixing the agenda disparity issues in investing in companies on the continent is when we start to see a difference in, in those metrics. Thank you so much, Cecile, for taking the time. I know you're busy working on a lot of different things. So, you know, I appreciate you taking the time. You know, best of luck in, in the future, my man. Keep keep building, keep creating, keep analyzing. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I mean, sure. it's, it's an exciting space to be in. So uh, can't wait to catch up again. Absolutely, absolutely, Grant. Thanks for having me.